Hey everybody, this is Troy, one of the pastors at First Church of the Nazarene. Thank you for listening to the podcast. It is a glimpse into the life of our church. We are ordinary people being transformed into passionate followers of Jesus. And we are committed to join God in the remaking of all things. I pray that this sermon is a blessing and helps you join God today. If we can serve you in any way, we would love to. Please get a hold of us at lafayettenaz.org. Have a great day. And in those few short verses, we read the story of two people being called. We just read the story of two people who discovered themselves. We, we just read the story of two people who discovered who they were always supposed to be. The story goes like this, this, Jesus, this, the story goes like this, Jesus emerged onto the scene and he's baptized and he's tempted and then he begins his public ministry and the way he begins his public ministry is in this remote area of the ancient Near East around a large lake that was called the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus starts walking through the towns and the villages of the Sea of Galilee, and he comes across two gentlemen, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew. And they happen to be brothers. And they were out that day working. They were working on a job. They were fishermen. Now, you and I... Uh, We live in landlocked Indiana. There's no commercial fishermen here, so we might not be familiar with that. When When we think fishermen, we think relaxation. But for them, this was their livelihood. This was their job. In fact, this industry had been handed down to them from generations. Their dad was a fisherman. Their grandpa was a fisherman. They never, ever wondered what they would do in their life. There was no aptitude test for them. They always knew someday I, too, will become a fisherman. And it was hard work. They fished with with, with nets. And so whether they were on the shore or whether they were in a boat, they were tossing nets constantly, pulling nets in. If you can imagine the cuts and the scrapes on their hands, if you can imagine the indentation and the fine lines on their face because of the sun damage that they dealt with their entire life, these were men's men. After they got done fishing, they probably liked to hang out with the boys for a little bit. And Jesus comes upon the scene and he sees them. And the scripture says, he calls them. And this is what he says. Come, follow me. And I see what you're doing. You're fishing for fish. You follow me, and I'll teach you how to fish for people. And the gospel writer Matthew lets us know that they didn't take a long time to think about it. Right away, for Peter and Andrew, what did they do? They left their former life behind so that they could begin a new life with Jesus. So notice how the sequence of events works. They have a life. 
This is the life they always imagined they would live. This is a firmly rooted identity. You fish for fish. You catch the fish. You sell the fish at the market. You make the money to support your family. This is your life. Jesus shows up and he offers to them a new life. But in order for them to be to enter into that new life, it takes the call of Jesus and it takes the response of obedience. And what's that response look like? It looks like leaving that old identity behind in order to live into this new identity. And who was creating this new identity for them? Was it themselves? Did they figure it out on their own? No, it was all dependent upon the call of Jesus. So Jesus shows up on that scene. He says to two people who already have a life, I'm calling out to you and inviting you into something else. And intuitively and instinctively, they knew that meant the end of the old me. And they were done with it. They dropped it. And they entered into this new way of life. But Jesus isn't done with Peter and with Andrew. The story says that he continues on. He continues on and he sees another set of brothers. James, who is Zebedee's son, and John, who is also Zebedee's son. But these guys were in a boat. They were out in a boat with their father, and they were fixing their nets. Jesus calls out to them now. And the story says this is great, right? The the story doesn't fill in the blanks, but I'm going to fill them in for you. They're in a boat. They're so much in a boat that Jesus has to call out to them. And these guys immediately leave the boat. They leave their father even. And they follow him. Now a couple of implications here. Not only did they leave in this story their old occupation. There's their dad. Their dad is fishing with them. Their dad depends upon his boys to share the work. The dad just lost two employees who leave all of that behind. There's nothing more honorable in the first century ancient Near East than to carry on your father's business. There's nothing more honorable than that. Loyalty was the currency of the day. And so if your dad were to ask you to do something, you did what your dad asked you to do, you would never bring shame upon your father's household. As a son, you loved nothing more than to make your dad's name great again. So here they are, fixing the nets, tending to their father's business. And Jesus calls out to them, these two guys who are well entrenched in a way of life, hey, come on, I have a new way of life for you. And they leave him. Now, they're out in the boat. I, I, I think they jump overboard and they swim. Maybe a swan dive. Maybe a cannonball. I don't know, but 
whatever it is, I, I think it's a later, Dad, into the water. They follow Jesus into this new way of life. Who, who is it that created that for them? It wasn't their own ability. It wasn't their own strength. All of it depended upon the call of Jesus to leave that old life behind. If you're here this morning and you're struggling with what you are supposed to do with your life, if you're looking to find yourself, if you feel a little aimless, or maybe like you're not sure you know what you should do and what you should be all about. I want you to hear the true testimony of Scripture. All of us here, which includes you, and I want to speak directly to you, you have a calling on your life. And your primary calling is to follow Jesus. You have a calling. You are called by God. You are called by God to leave behind an old way of living and to enter into a new way of living. And it is the call of God on your life that enables that new way of life. We can't find our way as we look inward within ourselves to that new way of life. We can't go on a backpacking trip and discover ourselves and enter into it. No, 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 no. That's that old way of life. The new way of life is a way that only Jesus can bring. And it's him who is calling out to us, to you today, come on, come follow me. And in order to follow me, you got to be done with that. That thing is over. This new thing is beginning. Jump off the boat. Get yourself wet. Let's go. I have a new way of life for you. If you're here this morning and you're wondering what's up, this is what's up, you are called by God. You have a calling on your life. So two stories in the Bible, and I mean, they're all throughout the Bible, but two stories that we read this morning in five verses. And within those five verses, we hear these two accounts of two people who were called to follow Jesus. Their calling is to go on a journey with Jesus. All right, one more passage of scripture. The first thing you need to know about calling is you're called and your calling is to be a follower of Jesus. Matthew chapter 9. I want to read one more story for you. Matthew chapter 9, beginning with verse 9. As Jesus continued on from there, so Jesus is just going around, traveling around, making the good news of the kingdom of God available to all people. As he continued on from there, he saw a man named Matthew. And, Math- and Jesus wanted Matthew to be his follower. He wanted to to offer to him a new way of life. So he saw a man named Matthew, and Matthew was sitting at a kiosk. And Matthew collected taxes. That's a, a, a good opportunity for all of you all to go, Ugh. And he said to him, Jesus said to Matthew, follow me. And he got up, and he followed him. And as Jesus sat down to eat in Matthew's house, This was the guest list. Many tax collectors and sinners joined Jesus and his disciples at the table. 
But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said, Healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. Go and learn what this means. I want mercy and not sacrifice. I didn't come to call righteous people, but sinners. So the first thing you need to know about calling is that you are called to follow Jesus. The second thing you need to know is who is it that Jesus calls throughout Scripture? What is the kind of person that Jesus calls into becoming his follower? The kind of person Jesus calls is labeled a sinner. A sinner. Y'all, let's let's settle this thing right now. You hear that squeak? The wind is blowing. Everything's going to be okay. All right. Regardless of your relationship with the word sin, regardless of your relationship, and some of y'all have a bad relationship with the word sin, rightfully so, I get it. Like, some of y'all were raised in an era where you were pounded and bombarded with that, and like, if you wore a wedding ring, it was sinful, or if like, you, you wore the wrong kind of clothes, then that was sinful, or if your hair or makeup or what, why is it always weird stuff like that? Or you went to the movies or I don't know, whatever it was, like you couldn't, you couldn't take a breath without sinning. It, I get it. Some of you have a bad relationship with that word sin, but, but whatever your, your relationship is, you have to understand that the testimony of Scripture is that by ourselves, within our own strength, In our own effort and on our own power, left to our own devices, the Bible consistently refers to us, you and I, as sinners. Sinners. Now, it might surprise you that the the word and that phrase, sinners, or the word sin, is not used by, by Jesus all that often in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, but it is used three times in that, sh- those, that short paragraph that I just read. And what is the point of that, that paragraph? The point is this. Jesus is constantly calling people into, new, into a new way of life. And who does he call? He calls sinners. Sinners. And if we're going to understand our calling, if we are going to go on this journey with Jesus from old life into new life, we have to understand something about our sin. There's one sinner in this story that we just read. His name is Matthew. And I would imagine that Matthew had to go on quite a life's journey to be completely changed by the good news of Jesus so that he went from Matthew the tax collector to Matthew the guy who wrote one of the four accounts of the life of Jesus. That was quite a journey for him. And our journey. Our calling is to go on that journey with Jesus. And in order to fulfill that calling on our life, we have to go from who we were to who we are becoming in Jesus. And that is a journey of change. It's a journey of what the Bible calls transformation at the core of our character. 
And then, as we are changed and as we are transformed, as we go on this journey with Jesus, we go out into the world, and that calling that God has placed on our life informs every single thing that we do. But there's a barrier. There's an obstacle in this process. And the obstacle is sin. It's sin. So let's talk about it. Sin is a failure to trust God. It's a failure to trust God and His definition of good and evil. Sin is to take the place of God ourselves. It is to swap creation for creator in order of priority. Sin is to think we know better. It's to redefine morality for ourselves. There's this uh, biblical uh, writer, um, Cornelius Platinga. I love his definition of sin. He says this. He says, sin is the culpable disturbance of shalom. It's the culpable disturbance of shalom. Now, shalom is that old biblical word that refers to peace and wholeness and joy without limit. And what Cornelius Platinga is telling us is that when you and when I, when we sin, we are culpable in the disturbance of the world as God has made it to be. We are culpable in the disturbance of our own peace, our own wholeness, our own joy. The author Richard Rohr, he talks about sin this way. He says, sins are fixations that prevent the life of God from flowing freely. So think of it like a blockade, like a blockage. Sin is a self-erected blockade. And whenever it is, whether it's a behavior, whether it's a pattern of thinking, uh, an addiction, whatever it is, sin is something that blocks the flow of God's life as God has always intended. And it cuts us off eventually from our relationship with God. Think about your spouse or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or think about your friend, your best friend, or your coworker, whoever, your mom, your dad, whoever it is, if there is a blockage in that relationship, if the flow of love is blocked, there begins to be separation. And when there begins to be separation, there begins to be distance between you and the other person. That is what sin is. And that is what sin does. So think about it like this way. The the scripture reveals to us that God is our father. And before we're anything else, we are his daughter or his son. And sin isn't about some arbitrary line in the sand that God has drawn. Like, hey, this is a 55 mile an hour zone and you were going 57. Can I tell you something really quick? I just learned this several months ago. Some of the staff are going to laugh at this. Okay. You know, um, when you're coming back into Lafayette from West Lafayette 
and you're not on State Road 26, but you're on the road that eventually turns into Union. I don't know the name of that road. But you're coming back from West Lafayette into Lafayette. There's like a bridge there and a little bit of a hill. Did you all know that that was 25 miles an hour when you go down that hill? Did you know that? Because I did not know that until the friendly officer informed me that that was, in fact, a 25-mile-an-hour zone. And if I was my wife and I was all cute and I was pretty, he would have given me a warning. But I was not my wife and I was not cute and I was not pretty, so I indeed did get a ticket. That is 25 miles an hour. That was free for y'all. But that's not what sin is. It's not like God draws some arbitrary land or line in the sand and you're going too fast. It's like, hey, I'm your father. And now there's this breach in our relationship. There's a brokenness there. There's an obstacle in the way. And that obstacle is keeping you and I from living the life that God has always desired that we would live. Sin is that blockage. It's that break. So in that passage of scripture that we read in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus talked about sin as if it's an illness or a sickness that we need healing from. In reality, that's exactly what it means to be saved. The word that's used for saved in the original language of the Bible is the same word they use for heal. To be saved and to be healed is one in the same thing. So we need to be healed from that illness of sin. And so to follow Jesus... To come into who we are called to be and who we are becoming, we have to deal with that obstacle. We have to deal with our sin. And when I'm talking about sin, I'm not just talking about our behavior. In fact, when the early church talked about sin, they talked about sin as if it was an onion with many layers. And the first layer of sin was like the Ten Commandments stuff, like don't kill people, don't, don't steal don't lie. They called those things gross sins or large sins. And everybody in our culture today, whether they believe in God or not, would, would agree with you. Don't do those things because they're wrong. But then they said, that's, that's not the whole thing. There's another layer. There's this layer of like deliberate sins. And these are things that are like socially acceptable. They're socially acceptable. Culture approves of them. But they don't align with the way of Jesus. And there are so many of these. I mean, an easy example, an easy example is like your Netflix queue. Your Netflix queue. Like, it is socially acceptable in our culture to watch two naked people engage in an intimate relationship on a screen. Like, that's socially acceptable. If you do that for 20 minutes, we call that pornography. If, we, if, you, if you do that for 20 seconds, we call that your Netflix queue. But listen... That's not the way of Jesus. That's sin. That's the disturbance of shalom. That's an obstacle between you and the way God has always intended for your life to be. That kind of behavior will do no good in our lives. In fact, it could do a whole lot of damage. It begins to desensitize us, rewires our brains, helps us to imagine stuff that we don't even need to be imagining that's completely unrealistic, but it's totally cool and completely acceptable in our culture. 
And there's so many other examples like materialism or, or gossip, whatever it is. These are things that culture is okay with, but they don't align with the way of Jesus. That's the second layer of sin. But they said there's even one more. There's that big stuff everybody agrees on. There's that second layer that's socially acceptable but doesn't line up with Jesus. But, but the ancient early church, they said there's one more layer. They said, you know what, there's a thing called unconscious sins. And like over time, as we follow Jesus and we're ready for it, what happens, they said, is God begins to reveal ugly bits and pieces about us that exist in our life, but we didn't know it. We weren't aware of it. And usually they said this has to do with more internal things than external things has to do with like relational things and not really behavioral things. It has to do with patterns of thinking or feeling. It, it has to do with how we relate to each other. I mean, for example, maybe, maybe like, you know, that, that, that first layer of sin, that gross layer of sin would be like, hey, don't harm another person. Don't do violence. You know, that second layer of sin that's like socially acceptable, but it doesn't fit into the way of Jesus. It's kind of like the, the way you take out your internal stress, like upon your children or your family. Everybody just calls that a good disciplinarian, but it doesn't fit into the way of Jesus. And like, but maybe that third layer of sin underneath there is your anger issue. It's like your anger issue. And you've dealt with the, the, the big one, You've even dealt with the second one. Like, you don't say anything anymore. You don't have those outbursts anymore. You, you, don't, you don't act that way anymore, but you've, you've never dealt with that third one. You're still angry. You're still full of contempt and superiority. Or often this third layer of the onion is about motivation. I mean, maybe you do the right things, but you do it for all of the wrong reasons. So slowly over time, God begins to reveal to us, hey, there's this stuff, there's like this shadow side in our lives that if we don't deal with it, eventually it bubbles up to the surface and expresses itself. Sometimes we call these things blind spots and let me be completely vulnerable with you. I've got them. We all have them. They're called blind spots because we don't look there. We're blind to them. And sometimes we choose not to look there because it's embarrassing or it's really difficult. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but like only that first and the second layer has to do with our behavior. And if we treat sin only as bad behavior... We'll never get down to the root of it because the root of sin has to do with our relationship to Jesus. If we figure out the behavior part, but we don't get the relationship part right, best case scenario, we turn into a Pharisee because they were really well behaved. I mean, they acted the right way all of the time. But inside of themselves, they were dead. In fact, Jesus called them whitewashed tombs, just void of life. If we only deal with the top two parts of sin, at best, 
We're just self-righteous. But there's this whole other way of life that's available to us. When we recognize that God has called us into becoming who he's always dreamed we would be. But there's this barrier. There's this obstacle in the way. And when we allow the good news of the gospel of Jesus to seep into our hearts and to become transformed from the inside out. Transformed from our character. And then out of our character, we begin to act according to the way of Jesus. Because I think there's a lot of us in this room who have figured out how to manage layer one and how to manage layer two, but man, we've never given over that third layer. We've never experienced the real healing that Jesus can bring. We've never experienced the real calling of this new way of life. We're still living with one foot in the old life and one foot in the new life. And we've never understood how to take that second step. So what I guess I'm trying to say to everybody here today is, on the other side of that, there's this beautiful healing thing that happens that only Jesus can bring. Only Jesus can create. You need to know two things about calling. The first is this. Everybody in this room is called to be a follower of Jesus. You have a call on your life, and you have purpose. And the second thing is this. If you're going to live into that new way of life that Jesus is calling out to you to live, you've got to do something about that blockage. You've got to do something about that sin. You've got to lay it down. You've got to lay it down. I'm going to invite the team to come forward this morning.